Praise the Lord for full salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Complete. Nothing to be added. We just look to him by God's grace. By God's grace. Well, it's been wonderful. It's been absolutely wonderful these last two nights. And and I'm looking forward to today, too. And uh, looking forward to our dear brothers proclaiming to us our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an honor to have you both here. Brother Jean-Claude, come up and preach Christ to us. Y'all. It is not just tradition for me, but uh, I must say how much I've been blessed. Uh, Wendy and I have been uh, in your country for quite a number of weeks now, and I don't think we've had a a trip like this before, I must say. And we will go back soon, God willing, to our own desert, and uh, full of uh, joy and uh, warmed by this uh, fellowship with God's people. We all go through uh, times which are not necessarily those we would have chosen, um, but we, by God's grace, uh, we can stand. And this is the only reason why we stand. I'm often uh, reminded of the fact that uh, we can see the empty spaces in our buildings or in our gatherings, um, but why are we here and others are not here? because Christ prayed for his people. And you will obviously remember the uh, event or the circumstance I'm alluding to uh, when uh, there's a difference made between Peter, the denier, and uh, uh, Judas, the uh, traitor. Uh, One denies his friend, and yet his... uh, Restored because Christ prayed for him. So let us rejoice at the fact that we held by God's grace and uh, pray that uh, he will not let us go according to his promise. Well, it's been a great time here and uh, I want to thank you for all what you've done, um, the arrangements, the uh, hospitality, friendship, uh, the food. Uh, my belt is becoming less of a necessary item of my clothing. <laughs> so I'll have a lot of work back home. Uh, it's been really good, and especially to meet uh, new brethren um, I had been wanting to meet for a long time, uh, but this, uh, this visit has enabled me to have fellowship with people I've not known before. Anyway, let's come to the word. Let's come to the word. So we're in Isaiah 53. And uh, this morning I'd like you to read with me verses 10 through 12. No, to the end. Yeah, 12. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord... To bruise him. 
He has put him to grief. When, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And this is the word of God. Well, we're looking at the gospel in three words. We've had sinfulness, for want of a better word. Actually, the word which I used first in my own language was, would be translated, but I can't pronounce it properly, so that's why I settled for sinfulness. It would be soiled. Um, The picture being uh, the kid who comes back to your home and has been eating mud. And I think this word actually describes and takes away the religious level of the word sinfulness. Uh, Often the word sinfulness has ceased to impact us. So sold. We have, we come back, or we come to the Lord with mud in our mouth. Don't we? Yes. And then we've seen the substitution that is God's answer to our sinfulness and of course it's not very difficult and some of you have already uh, indicated to me that uh, uh, they've discovered the the third word which is satisfaction because there's no gospel unless there is satisfaction and this is what we find here in in our passage satisfaction Isaiah presents us with the servant of the Lord. This is the man who is more than a man, but he is a man. And he comes from God in order to serve God. And the prophet has already uh, introduced this, this character. This character has a mission and he's coming to accomplish this mission. And he's going to uh, succeed in that mission. That mission will be accomplished. If you go, if you come with me to uh, Isaiah 42, for instance, the four first verses, we find this. Isaiah 40, 42, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, He will bring forth justice to the nations, that is, the non-Jews. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. That's not religion. He's not coming for religion. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. 
and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So this is the one who is coming with a mission. And then later on, uh, Isaiah in chapter 49 um, comes back to this servant. And there he underlines the great difficulties of his task. Um, Chapter 49, uh, starting verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, uh, that is the non-Jews, those who are far off, uh, listen to me and take heed, you people from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth, my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. And in his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, that is prince with God. In whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. How many times the Lord in his humanity was discouraged. Will you also go? I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who fought me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you... a as a light to the nations that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth thus says the Lord the redeemer of Israel their holy one to him whom man despises to him whom the nation abhors to the servant of rulers kings shall see and arise princes also shall worship because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, he and he has chosen you. The Lord, this Messiah's coming, says uh, Isaiah, and his work will succeed. But it is not an easy work. That is not an easy work. And uh, uh, later on, Isaiah uh, shows how the servant himself speaks of his suffering and the, the suffering which are before him. And we see in the gospel how this dark shadow was coming or he was coming to that dark shadow. But um, in all these passages, it is not uh, mentioned the reasons which actually caused these sufferings. And this is a, uh, the subject of the passage we see here. These sufferings have two main reasons. And uh, this is why uh, what I've tried to uh, underline, to bring out. Uh, in one, on one side, there's this sinfulness of the people. And then on the other side, there's the justice and the holiness of God. 
And then, uh, as a sort of backdrop to all this, there is the covenant of God. That is the gracious purpose of God, which is conceived in Christ before time was. And from all eternity, God has this decreed, has wanted to bring some uh, members of the human race into his own intimacy. And he has promised to do everything needed for that. And he has undertaken to do everything needed for that. The human race, as we all know so badly, is, has fallen in sin. And then has cut itself off from the glory of God. There's no way, no way, man can come to the glory of God. And the cut off from this intimacy, from this living link with the source of all being. Why has God let this happen? Why doesn't he reconcile every man with himself? These questions come to our mind and they are legitimate. And in a sense, the Bible doesn't answer them directly. No. Except to say that everything God does is for the glory of his Son and for his own glory. And, you know, my friends, this is a good refuge. As another Frenchman has said many years ago, many centuries ago, when the Bible is silent, let us be the same. Let us be the same and just be content with it. No, the glory of his son. And the glory of his son is to give glory to the Father. The sinfulness of those whom God wants to bring into his presence is an obstacle on the way. An obstacle which God himself has to deal with. And I say that with respect. But he's so holy that it is an obstacle. It's not an impossibility for him. Something must be done. And as we've seen, this sinfulness, this dirt, is not a misfortune which has come kind of by chance on man. And uh, uh, it is so linked, so woven into the nature of man that man is, you and me, are totally unable by nature to do anything about it but to increase it. Absolutely impossible. How can a man stand before God? How um, can a man so sinful, so soiled, can stand before such a holy God? Oh yes, we can stand before gods because they're made in our image but not before that God. There's nothing in man which can help. And there we can see the folly of those who seek to please God with something which is in them. And maybe we belong to that crowd. Certainly all of us at one time or another do go that way. This is folly. This is folly. But man is so attached, so wedded to what he does that this taints everything we do 
at one time or another. If man cannot do anything to save himself, well, then it follows that somebody else has got to do it if it's to be done. And this is exactly what the Bible declares. Not only that there is somebody who replaces a substitute, but that he is sent by God himself. This is good news already. And that he is equipped with everything needed to succeed. He doesn't have just a little bit of the spirit. Not a lot of the spirit. It's in fullness. In fullness. He has everything. He is a man. An angel can't do it. An animal cannot do it. He's a man. And the whole of the Bible is a testimony to the fact that this substitute, my friends, has come. Has come. Often I try to wake uh, congregations, I'll say in Africa like this, that gets me out of hot water here, um, by saying that Christ is not in the Old Testament. And now that you are awake, I will explain Yes, there are types of Christ, promises of Christ. There are even uh, appearances of Christ, theophanies, and, and all these things, prophecies about Christ. But you have to come to Matthew 1 for him to, be, to, to have this body in which he will suffer. He will suffer. So he has come and he has accomplished that work successfully and totally totally he was broken he was uh, put to death and Isaiah 53 is one of the passage who, uh, which are the clearest about this point but the question is there uh, we have seen the reality of the sinfulness of man we've seen the fact that this sinfulness is absolute it touches everything in man there's not one part which is uh, not touched no we have seen the substitution with which that servant has has accomplished and uh, because we have the benefits now of the new testament the uh, expression of the new covenant clearly open to us we know that he has succeeded we know that but the question is has that substitution really cancelled all the effects of the sinfulness, the total sinfulness of man? The purpose of God to bring in his presence people reconciled with him, although coming from this sinful race, has, it, has this purpose succeeded? And... If you look at yourself, then you cannot get any assurance. And there are whole congregations, there's whole tracts of lands where people uh, believe these things and yet have got no assurance. Why? Because they do not see our third word. Our third word, which is satisfaction. Has it succeeded? Among men, we see people who are really zealous and well-intentioned, and yet... What they want to do doesn't come to pass. Is it the same with the Lord? Is it the same with the Lord? Well, if we re read our passage, we know that it is 
not the case. The work of the Lord will prosper in his hands, will succeed, will come to pass. So this is a subject of great joy when we come to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's done the work. He has put him to grief. Yes, that was needed. When you, have, you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That is, God's purpose will has prospered in the hand of the Messiah, of the one who is sent. Yes, it is a yes, a divine yes, which resounds throughout the universe. Yes, the work is done, and God is satisfied with the work of his Son. And that is good news. That is good news. The resurrection of Christ is not just the end of a kind of uh, gripping movie. You know, oh, it's, it's all right at the end. You never know until the last second whether it's going to fall out right. Yes, and it is. No, it's not just that. It's not just that. It is a declaration. Yes. A declaration. And by this resurrection of Christ, God declares that he accepts. He takes for himself the work of his son. Yes, I am well pleased. The work is done. There is no more guilt there. His justice demanded a payment. His holiness had been uh, spurned. And uh, in the death, as a sacrifice of the substitute, the one who takes the place, the justice of God receives a full payment for the debt. There's not one cent left. Not even a portion of that. From now on, God can be just. And yet, justify the one who in himself is not just. And nobody can say to God, what do you do? What are you doing there? No, not at all. The promise of God finds its fulfillment in there. Uh, look at uh, chapter 52, verse 13. We've seen it already. Behold, my servant shall deal, shall prosper, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and, and extolled and be very high. Well, uh, God will not raise and exalt somebody who has failed. It's just no way. No way. Uh, and our, our verse 10 here. Yes, he... he he will, pro- he will prosper. The, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He has succeeded. My friend, it's only our, our humanness which prevents us from jumping up and down when we hear that. No. But how does this come to pass? How does this come to pass? Well, first, the substitute has become a no-man. And no man. And this is a sense of um, uh, chapter 52, verse 14. 
Just as many were astonished, astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. He has been stricken in such a way that he didn't even look like a man. And you turn your eyes from such a, such a one. He's a, a no man. By, by rebellion before God, Adam has fallen to a place uh, from the place which he occupied. And uh, he was so ashamed of himself that he hid himself. He was not a man anymore, in a sense. Not the creature whom God uh, had created. So he hid himself. And he's, he's um, sent away, uh, cast away from the garden. And himself, as unfortunately we all know, acts more often like an animal rather than like a human being. There's no man. And the servant of God takes that place. He's a no man. And this is where God comes and strikes the blow which should reach man. He was rejected by all. A no man rejected by all. And uh, I don't think there is a worse trial than to be misunderstood by friends. This is what happened with Christ. He came to his own. And what did he have? Healing in his wings. He healed. He, he loved. He fed people. Misunderstood. This is the worst. Rejected in misunderstanding. And uh, remember the words of the uh, thief on the cross. Uh, he's talking to his, uh, his colleague on the other side. He said, you know, I mean... Why do you speak like this? What's happening to us? It's justice. It's justice. We only, we deserve what we get. But this man, he doesn't. He doesn't. Well, this man had been already transferred, uh, transformed. But for the servant, he has not done nothing to undergo this terrible uh, terrible circumstances we have considered uh, him being stricken by God being punished by God and this is that we've cast our ballot yeah this is the right uh, punishment he deserves it well in himself he doesn't he doesn't but this is a right punishment deserved by those he's representing he's a substitute and my friends, he doesn't have to become a sinner for that. He doesn't have to die for his sins. And we see that as a parable in his life. When a leper comes to him, he gives him his virtue. But does he become a leper? No, he doesn't. Because he's the son of God. He's the son of God. He's not just a man. Oh, let us be careful about worshipping a real Christ. A real Christ. The Christ of God. And the... Uh, in this terrible trial, the justice of God receives what it was demanding. The payment for the rebellion. Rebellion brings death. And in him there is death. And that awful death of becoming a no man. Because 
his people is no man. And now, now, the justice of God, having obtained what it demanded, it is now satisfied, which we can translate by being put at rest. God can sit down, if I may say, reverently. And this is done by the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The death of Christ is not a sort of uh, uh, an act of uh, altruism. You know, I, I will do a great thing to show uh, how uh, we should live. He's not showing us the way. No, he's doing something for God. Uh, sometimes among men, you have people who are ready to sacrifice themselves for others. And we say, well, this is a hero. This is uh, somebody we, we must honor, give honor to. And this is right. But here, it's much more than that. Christ doesn't uh, stop at uh, just have compassion, coming and walk alongside those who really walk all their life in darkness. No, it's not just that. He has come to shoulder the condition of sin. And uh, he has swallowed that sin for all those who come to him in the power of the Spirit. And that sin doesn't taint him. It's swallowed. It disappears. It disappears because the blow has fallen on him. Hallelujah. Isn't it? Let's not be constricted in our decency. In the Old Testament, there is a, a beautiful image, a terrible image. We, we find it in uh, the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, you know, the Day of Atonement. And uh, on that day, the atonement was made with two goats, two animals. And uh, in, in two uh, sections, if I may say. One was uh, put to death, was sacrificed and uh, given as a sacrifice to God, stricken by God, uh, bruised, broken. But the other goat, the other animal, was because of the laying, ha laying on of, ha of the hands of Aaron, representative, the substitute for the people, the high priest, laid his hand on the head of that ghost and symbolically the rebellion, the sinfulness of the people was laid on that goat. And then the, 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 the animal was uh, uh, sent to the desert and no one could ever find that goat again. And that was a picture. You needed two animals. And frankly, that was uh, just the mercy of the Lord. It probably would need Two million animals to replace as a picture. The work is done. And now, now, no one can find the, those sins. Not even God. I will remember no more their transgressions. He has taken away the transgressions, the iniquity, the sinfulness of his people. And God is satisfied and for, for man it's too simple well, it was not simple for Christ it was not simple for God 
But it's too simple. But it is that. And this is why we read that the Father will give him a portion with a great. He will give him a portion with a great. And you don't reward somebody who has failed. He has succeeded. And we see that in the exaltation of Christ. Can you go somewhere in this world and meet with him? No, you can't. He's high above. And this gives us the assurance that God is satisfied. Oh, if only we could believe it more deeply. More deeply. And now we see this, uh, what the uh, old reformers, these great men who were just men, uh, said, the wonderful exchange, the marvelous exchange. In the work of Christ, we see the Father implicating himself, if I can say. This man crucified was given over to death, was stricken by God according to his everlasting purpose. Yes, the Jews plotted against him. Yeah, the Romans planted the, the, the nails. Yeah, but the nails stayed in the wood because God had decreed it. You imagine a nail made from a mineral which he has created? It needed the whole power of God for that nail to stay there. I'm speaking as a man, you understand that. But that is the power of Christ. There. God has wanted to make peace by the blood of his cross by his death. We see how God has loaded him with the sin. We see how God has stricken him, humbled him, humiliated him, broken him, and cut him off. We see that. Yes, what Christ has endured is terrible. Oh, Father, if this cup can pass away from me, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Done nothing for that. Why? And uh, we see, especially, the terrible side of it, that it came from his beloved father. The one, he's been in total communion, and even for us it's difficult to realize that there, uh, there are three in one. We can't even explain it. Well, we see it. He'd never seen that, never known that. So terrible. And our passage underlines another reality, which is just as real, just as concrete. Um, and the prophet speaks that it was our sufferings which he has borne. It was our by our. Uh, our, um, uh, what we needed to undergo that he actually uh, suffered the chastisement which, was, which we deserve falls on him it falls on him by his stripes we are healed the iniquity which is ours falls on him it is our iniquity my friends Oh, 
he is stricken for the sin of my people, says the Lord. My people. So, he is stricken, and therefore, he will see a posterity. He will see a seed. There is life in there. There is not the end. The cross is a beginning, in a sense. He will feast his, his eyes. He will feast himself. And you know, <laughs> I get this when I'm in America. Uh, there, there comes a point uh, when you can't eat anymore. Food which is so nice. And there's that second table, you know. And it's uh, that table which teaches you that there's no free will. All the cakes. <laughs> and these cakes look so good. But there comes a point where they don't look half as good. Because you just can't. Well, that is it. That is it. His people, he looks at the, his people, the, the joy that was reserved for him, the church. He sees that and he doesn't need anything else. He is filled with that, totally filled. And he will justify many, many. And we see it today. We see it today. We've got the means today to uh, know what happens within a second on the other side of the world. I speak to you and I come from not a few miles, thousands of miles. And later on there will be somebody else coming from just not quite the same distance, but quite a distance. And uh, you have friends all over, all over the world. And these people say, yes, nothing in my hands I bring to thy cross alone. I cling. I am justified by this. He justifies many and many and many. We don't have no idea of this. The work has succeeded. The work is done. And this wonderful exchange has happened. He has become poor so that his people may become rich beyond thinking. God is fully satisfied. Fully satisfied. He has resurrected. He has raised the head. Will he not welcome the body in his presence? Of course, yes, he will. Yes. And uh, we have this picture of the Messiah coming. Here I come. And the children whom you have given me. He will come uh, with his people. The sinfulness is transferred Unto the just one. And those who are sinful. Now they are uh, clothed with the righteousness of the, right one, of the righteous one. And God therefore is at rest. For all those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation at all. Well now let's think for a moment about the consequences. Consequences. And there are many. First, the rest, the Sabbath, the, work, the rest of the people of God. If the substitute has accomplished the work successfully, if God is satisfied, then there is nothing more to do. Nothing more to do. And let it be our prayer to the Lord to give us constantly a sense of that. A sense of that. 
because our flesh fights against it. There is nothing whatsoever to do to be at peace with God. And of course we say it, but how often, how often our, li- our lives belie what we say. And it is a good thing that our salvation doesn't rest on our works, on our shoulders, that it is done. No, they, those who are in Christ rest in Christ. And it's total rest. But there are many, and I alluded to that before, many true believers, my friends, who uh, suffer and fight under the um, terrible burden of not grasping how much this rest is real. It may come from bad teaching. It may especially come from looking at oneself. You look at yourself, at your emotions, at your, th- your thoughts, at your uh, actions. And it's li- just like the, the sea when there's, a, when there's a hurricane. It's all over the place. And of course, you cannot be at rest. No, not at all. This is why when you come to before the throne, the sea is there, but it's glass sea. Rest. So, therefore, my friends, when, if you have this terrible burden on you, and we all have it at, from time to time, or more than from time to time, if ever that burden is on you, just turn your eyes and look full into his face. And then the, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the, the power of what Christ has done will come to you and uh, will put you at rest. Resting in you. This is a great consequence, isn't there? In ourselves, we're total failures. And maybe this morning you feel as a failure. I'll tell you one thing. You don't feel half as much a failure as you should feel. Because if you did, you'd go to him. This is a work of the spirit. It's not a a work of the flesh. You see? Oh, yes. We are not satisfying ourselves. And we shouldn't be. But God is satisfied in Christ. What can we do else? We need to see this. Another consequence. And of course these things we say. Yes we say amen to that. Is that it is grace. And not works. Grace and not works. Because the. Uh, substitute the one who takes a place has kind of swallowed the sinfulness of the people and God is therefore totally satisfied there is nothing to do and you will say well you repeat yourself I carry on repeating myself there's nothing to do nothing to do salvation comes therefore as a gift But even among men, we cannot receive the gift this way. We've been traveling and visiting friends 
And uh, you've probably missed on that one, but generally we bring gifts. That's what you do. And uh, uh, it was difficult because the gifts we had to bring had to be small because uh, the airlines today have caught up on that and they only give you one case. But anyway, but it is difficult to accept a gift and, and not say, oh, thank you, and, and think, oh, next time I need to... Uh, no. No, it's given as a gift. The only thing to do is to receive it. And even that, the Lord does it for his people. It is a gift. And the gift is given by the one who's taken the place. He's given it. And uh, this great substitute gives it to his spirit, the spirit of life. And that spirit will speak through the word of life. And life comes in. And uh, the one who is impacted by that receives it as a gift. And we can understand what John, or what the Lord himself says to those in Ephesus who become really big in theology, and big in this and that and whatever. says, you were not like this at the beginning. And he doesn't say, forget all what you've learned. No, go back to your first love. Now you love me with a human love. You've brought in things in. No, no. Just this love of a child. The child doesn't care whether his father or his mother are clever, whether they've got plenty of money. That's our mistake today, isn't it? No. He knows that his parents love him. And that's enough. That's enough, isn't it? Oh, let us be children. Let us be children. Salvation, reconciliation with God is a grace. It is given by God and only God can give it. Well, when he gives it, he gives it. Sometimes I've been led uh, to thank my colleagues back in Africa, say on the last day, oh, I'll take you to the restaurant. And uh, if it's a place I know, I know what it's going to cost, but sometimes you don't. And uh, as a good, as a true man, uh, I'm there eating and suddenly I realize it's going to cost me a whole lot more than I expected. Uh, I have enough, uh, but I think, mm, maybe I should have taken them somewhere else. You know, well, God doesn't give that way. He doesn't. He doesn't. It's prodigality. And it's uh, great prodigality. Oh, my friends, aren't we silly? Aren't we just poor humans to doubt and not to receive the fullness of his gift? The fullness of his gift. And uh, this is really what is the gospel. Some people make uh, talk about the full gospel and they make a mockery of it. And we don't want to follow that. No, it is not because you have got special kind of quirks about yourself that it is a full gospel that you can uh, do, speak in weird languages and do this. No, the full gospel is to be absolute, absolutely persuaded from the word in the power of the spirit that we are totally sinful in ourselves. There's nothing we can contribute. It is to be fully persuaded that God in his grace and in his love for himself has 
provided a substitute who is a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. It is to be persuaded that this perfect sacrifice has satisfied fully the one who wants his people to be with himself. And my friends, unless we are in the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God, persuaded of that, our, our view of the gospel is not full. It's not full. This is why we have to come again and again to the Lord in prayer, in supplication. This is why we've got to come again and again to the word of God. So that, again, he may wipe our eyes and we may see always more clearly what he has done in Christ. And rejoice. My friend, maybe you spared that, but I will say it. There's not half enough joy among those who love the Lord as there should be. Let us grow in that grace and glorify him. Amen.